Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Fantasy Sports Today. Number two on FST, Mike Blewett and Joe Galena. Find me on Twitter at Mike Blewett. <clears throat> Find Joe on Twitter at Joe Galena. G-A-L-L-I-N-A. So, a couple big stories. We're talking NFL uh, right now. We're going to be talking NFL for the next hour. We'll have Emery Hunt up with uh, NFL draft breakdowns. Uh, in the next segment, and you find him on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. He's going to be live with me in studio next Thursday, along with Dane Martinez and a yet-to-be-announced special guest or guest. Uh, not sure it's who's going to be yet. Actually, we got got a few people out there uh, that we're speaking with. So um, it's myself, Emery, and Dane. Uh, live on Thursday night in Studio 34, right there in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, if you want to come join us, take a look at the fishbowl. Feel free if you're in the area. We are in that uh, 34th and 8th, the Renaissance Hotel, fifth floor. So good times. Joe, you've been there many times. The fishbowl yes. feel is kind of fun. Uh, and on draft, love night, it the when last people uh, wave to us and stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, we were filming the live. We were filming the mock draft show. Uh, mm-hmm. just, I guess about 10 days ago now. And by the way, go to my Twitter feed. You'll see breakdowns of the first 12 picks or so. Uh, We'll keep releasing the videos uh, for the rest of the teams that we broke down. But I was with Rich Ciaramanello and Joe Lisi. They did a really nice job of breaking down the players. Look, here's what's hard for me. I'm anchoring the sort of Sunday coverage, and then Joe comes in, obviously, behind me and anchors his show. Uh, fantasy football live but it's hard for me doing all the prep for the nfl shows on sundays to then and i was doing multiple shows during the week and it's hard for me to really dive in on college football i love college football it's one of my it's maybe my first love is college football as a sport it's really like somewhere between baseball and my first love i'm talking about baseball and college football were like that's what i watched growing up which is weird for a kid from New York to to be that into college football. I just was. And then I went to a school, Boston College, that at the time I was there was really good. Uh, Tom mm-hmm. Coughlin was the head coach, and we were a very good team, and it uh, amplified my love of college football. Um, simultaneously, I also love the NFL, and that's just sort of what I cover now. Um, so anyway, I, I say all this as a setup to say I – don't get a chance to watch as much college football, so I need people like Emery, Joe Lisi, Rich Giermanello to fill in the blanks on the specific players. Do you know what I mean? 
Absolutely, and it's the same with me. I mean, uh, I uh, got into watching college football a little bit later in, in in life because my focus was baseball and and NFL. That those were my two main loves. But then I started watching some college football, and I, I love offense. And if you love offense, you're gonna love college football, right? Because these yeah. teams never take their foot off the pedal, and it's just an exciting, quick-paced game. And like you, you know, you you you're we're hosting shows and we're focused on doing prep work for our NFL-centric shows. So we don't have the opportunity to watch as much college football as we'd like, but uh, it really is a lot of fun once we do sit down. I, I, I tend to watch uh, some of those Saturday night, I have, have some time sometimes to watch the Saturday night games, and those seem to be the marquee games as well. You have I usually have one of the programs. I usually have the Saturday night game on in the background while I'm prepping for the Sunday yeah, show. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll get mm-hmm. the full Saturday night ESPN or Fox mm-hmm. game in uh, right. as I'm watching. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so we'll have Emery on to talk about this stuff and a couple of NFL uh, stories coming up here uh, in a moment. So the, the first one, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> man, the first one is that the Raiders sent their scouts home before <laughs> the draft fearing leaks. And there were some really interesting stories from other guys that were former NFL organizational guys that now work for the NFL Network. And the re- the the assumption is that Gruden and Mayock, Mike Mayock, their new GM, a fellow Boston College alum, I'd be remiss if I didn't add that, and John Gruden don't quote don't know who to trust among the scouts. <laughs> And, quote, wanted to clear the room. They employ 14 people in their player personnel department, not all of whom are scouts. Um, there are a few guys there that were they were hired by the previous administration. And Daniel Jeremiah does a really good job on the draft, said, when I started scouting in 2003, most teams allowed scouts and coaches to see the draft board. Yet by 2012, most teams only allowed three or four people, the head coach, the GM, the personnel director, and the college personnel director to have access to the board. This isn't that unusual. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I saw I saw the same tweet, and uh, I, I was reading how uh, you know, and you tend to forget, and it's good to to, to refresh your memory. How like uh, John Gruden when he first uh, took over uh, b- back in September, there was some uh, rift there with uh, between him and the and the scouting team and uh, other facets of the Raiders organization. Because John Gruden kind of you know we talk about the uh, the Tampa Bay Rays being kind of an innovative team. John Gruden kind of thinks outside the box as well. (laughs) Obviously, you know, when he came in and traded Khalil Mack, he doesn't really care what you think. He just he has his own way of of doing things, and and that's the way it goes. But uh, I saw the same thing where uh, supposedly, uh, you know, there's been a growing trend where, um, you know, there's a fewer and fewer people that have actual eyes on the the draft board. And look, you know, you you wonder it makes you wonder what the Raiders might end up doing. You know, might they trade uh, down and, 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 you know, maybe go after? Because there's rumors that they might also be interested in uh, Kyler Murray, right? So maybe they yeah. don't want to tip. <laughs> so it makes you wonder <laughs> as to exactly yeah. what's going on there. Yeah, and so Gil Brandt also said, we never cleared the room, but sometimes we'd lay traps for scouts we didn't trust. In 1987, mm-hmm. we showed our board our board to a scout with us taking Mike Junkin a linebacker we didn't like. Two days later, Cowboys beat writer Jim Dent wrote a story saying we were taking Junkin. Hook, <laughs> right, line, right. stinker. So, uh, obviously, that Another guy was thing. fired because they knew he was a league. 
Right, right. And another thing, supposedly, uh, I was reading that the Raiders are thinking about cleaning house with their scouting area, uh, scouting uh, staff. So why would this has if, happened if this, recently? Uh, by the oh, way, they, it already Bills, happened. That they no, no, not to oh, the Raiders. Okay. I'm saying with other teams. I believe right, right. the I believe the Colts did this. If mm-hmm. not last year, then the year before. The Bills made moves like this post-draft. So they just get through the process, and then they clean house. What was right. curious to me that when Gruden took over and got a 10-year, $100 million deal from uh, Mark Davis, it was curious to me that McKenzie was still there because you don't give somebody that kind of money implying total control over the organization and then keep a GM on that he's not associated with. Um, so they some for some reason kept him around and then fired him in December and really odd mm-hmm. time for it. It meant that he had lost all power and it was just time to go. I just don't know why they didn't do that during the summer. Uh, right, it would make more so sense. now mm-hmm. and any holdovers that McKenzie has, if you don't trust those guys, just they're going to move on. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. the draft's going to be over two weeks from tomorrow. Uh, excuse me, a week from tomorrow. The draft will be mm-hmm. over, and then you'll see moves like this. They uh, Don't be surprised if it says something to the effect of Raiders uh, let go entire scouting staff or Raiders let go seven of their scouts because they were holdovers from the previous administration. So they have their three first-round picks, four, 24, and 27. <laughs> they also have a third pick in the second round, so they have four of the first 35 picks in this draft. I think everything is on the table for them. I think at some point they start to have to start adding impact players, and if they stayed put and took all of those guys, uh, all of those picks, uh, the first thirty-four, the first thirty-five, I think they'd see some real impact players. If they wanted to move one of those um, and give up some uh, later picks in order to get a guy that they really are in love with, and they only had three first-round picks, you know, we'll see. I could just envision a scenario where. And I did this in our mock draft. We didn't do trades or anything like that, but I had the Raiders taking Drew Locke because in our draft he kept falling. I'm not a huge Derek Carr guy. There's obviously some money committed there, but I I, I haven't thought for some time that Derek Carr is going to make it to Vegas as their starting quarterback. So I could see them having a developmental year for a rookie and moving on from Carr in the offseason next year. I could see that. I'll, I'll check the money to see um, how reasonable that is, but I remember looking at it in the past and thinking that that's a possibility for them. So we'll go to Derek Carr. Um, and, and give me your thoughts while I'm looking this up. Give me your thoughts on Derek Carr. Disappointing. Uh, you know, I, I've owned him in fantasy, and uh, it looked like early in his career that he was going to de- develop into, you know, something special. You know, maybe not, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers special, but uh, part of it, I think, as well, is just the, has been his surrounding cast. And I, in my opinion, not only do you need, you know, to have physical ability, but, uh, you know, you, you need the supporting cast and it could work on you mentally. You know, if you start getting used to losing and, and you know, uh, it wears on you. It is interesting to note the difference in, in, in production in Amari Cooper once he got away from Derek Carr. <laughs> you know, so uh, 
you know, I could see, I, I agree with you. I could see the Raiders, uh, you know, getting a, a quarterback in this draft. Obviously, they need to focus on the offensive line as well. Uh, it was ranked fifth worst uh, by our friends at Pro Football Focus. I mean, yeah. running back. They have a lot of needs, right? Joe. A lot they, of they had 13 yeah. sacks last year. The Giants right. were second worst in the league with 30. The Raiders had mm-hmm. 13, less than one right. sack per game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's almost impossible to do. So right. they desperately right. needed a pass rusher. Uh, the way things are starting to shape out now, if Ed Oliver gets snagged by the Jets or someone else at three, then Josh Allen is there. Maybe they like Josh Allen mm-hmm. as the edge rusher instead of Quinn and Williams. So mm-hmm. that is a possibility that is opening up now for a long time. Those top five picks seem somewhat locked in. I like the fact that Ed Oliver is up there. I thought, I've thought for some time that if he dropped in later into the top ten or outside the top ten that someone's going to get a steal. It did happen in our mock draft where somebody got a steal. I, I think I made a mistake, frankly. If I were the Lions, I'd probably take Ed Oliver. I, I took an offensive lineman for them, which is a good addition for them. But maybe Ed Oliver would be more of an impact player. The Derek Carr salary situation, can't cut him now, obviously. Would have to hang on to him for a year. They can cut him next year for only $7.5 million in dead money. That's not chump change, but it's doable. Considering the size of the salary cap now, you can get out of that. And by the way... If somebody's looking for a bridge quarterback, maybe you trade him for a third rounder, they take on the salary, and then he's effectively on a one-year deal for 2020. Um, He is signed through 2022, but after that, the dead money, if if somebody were to take him on for the 2020 season, the dead money in 2021 is only $2.5 million. At that point, you're willing to do it to get out from Mm -hmm. a bad Mm -hmm. quarterback situation. Derek Carr, I think, is going to be a bridge quarterback for somebody at some point. Now, he has every opportunity to prove me wrong. Maybe I don't know what the Raiders are thinking. It's just what I've thought for some time. And I think he's there. This is his last year with Oakland, and then they'll move on from him. So uh, I could be wrong. We shall see. I'll ask Emery about that as well. The Jaguars. Uh, this is such an you know, Tom Coughlin is obviously involved in this kind of stuff because he's so old school. And I have a ton of respect for Tom Coughlin. As I said, he was the coach at BC while I was there. I've, I've clearly tracked his whole career and frankly rooted for him um, <coughs> as old school as he is. But for these teams, after this stuff has all been negotiated, to criticize the players for not showing up for the voluntary workouts it's a huge slap in the face to the players, to the CBA, to the Players Association and everything else. And Coughlin didn't name anybody, but Talvin Smith and Jalen Ramsey were not there. Jalen Ramsey has a, a young daughter and uh, a wife that he's hanging with during the offseason, not showing up to this voluntary workout. And it seems like Coughlin has been critical of these two players despite not naming them. He thinks everybody should be all in. I don't think it doesn't mean that you're out if you're not at the voluntary workout. I get your point, but when you look at the this this team in general, uh, you know, with uh, Leonard Fournette, uh, you know, uh, not being, we'll say, for lack of a better description, not not a good citizen, some you know, discipline uh, issues with the entire team. Uh, maybe he just feels that you know, he's he's old school. Let's face it. Remember what the Giants, where he would find he's the uh, most old players school. For, 
yeah, yeah. He's 70 years uh, old, Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to his credit, even with the Giants, he 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 did change. Like when, when he had that rule where you had to get to uh, their uh, team meetings 15 minutes before he actually called for the start of it, you know, and he'd find you if you weren't. You know, he, he kind of changes. Role. So maybe, yeah, exactly. Like He's 72, by the way. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so I, I get your point, school. but... Yeah, I get your point, but like I said, I mean, this team is kind of, you know, not played up to their uh, expectations, and part of it has been, I think, their discipline. So they were horrible last year. They were horrible last year. The quarterback play was atrocious, Mm -hmm. (laughs) atrocious, and the defense gave up at times. I I think that team Mm -hmm. was just. Jalen Ramsey was outspoken about it. He's like, look, I'm not calling people out, but it's obvious what the problem is here. The defense was pissed at the offense because they couldn't do mm-hmm. anything. So it put them in bad spots. And, you know, as, and no matter how talented a defense is, if you're in bad spots all the time and you're playing a negative field bad position spots. scenario. If you're on lot, the field all the time, too. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So my, my point is that you, you're fair to make a point about Fournette being a bad citizen and getting suspended and all this kind of nonsense. But Jalen Ramsey isn't that guy. He's a loudmouth, but he plays with a chip on his shoulder, and he's a loudmouth. So, I mean, try to dominate him. He's he's one of the best corners in football. So he's, I think, I think it's unfair to criticize. Then don't make them voluntary. If he's not there for a mandatory workout, criticize him all you want. Right. (laughs) For two players of the entire team, to miss voluntary workouts and, and call those guys out. I don't know. I, I see your side, and I see their side, but don't negotiate the CBA that way, man. Mm. Or don't have voluntary workouts. What do you, what do you want me to say? Make them all mandatory. <laughs> you can't criticize the guys for not showing up when they don't have to be there. All right. Uh, we've got Emory Hunt after this. We'll talk NFL draft. I'll get off my soapbox. We'll be right back. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your Daily Roto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. back good jam from sean angle right there sean angle producing today great music as always We've got emory hunt coming on here to talk a little nfl draft emory uh you are here man so thanks for joining us i appreciate it excited for next thursday me you and dane appreciate you guys having me on yeah you excited for next thursday me you and dane live in studio absolutely man you know it's, it's almost a. Uh, uh, almost that time, and I'm kind of glad for it to be over with, to be honest. Yeah, I, yeah, you're breaking <laughs> down hundreds of players. Uh, I, I would imagine why you'd be exhausted. So um, so I'm going to give you a couple of questions right off the bat. Um, you're a former football player, played at University of Louisiana Lafayette. Go Raging Cajuns, right? Uh, right. So voluntary workout for Jalen Ramsey and Telvin Smith. 
they both no show. Everybody else is there, <clears throat> but Coughlin. I don't think he named them by name, but he effectively called them out for not being there. Um, there's an implication that they're not dedicated because they're not at a voluntary workout. I'm defending them, saying it's voluntary. It's in the CBA. They don't have to be there. It doesn't mean that they're not dedicated football players, especially, especially those two guys. What are your thoughts on that? I learned right away in college that voluntary didn't mean voluntary. Um, right. I'm a true freshman. Uh, it's summer workout, so it's two a days, and you know, practice. You know, you practice in the morning, you in film study all afternoon, mid morning, afternoon. Then you have workouts, then you have the second practice. So when there's other, you know, workouts at that point was voluntary. I was like, all right, cool. I could, you know, I'll probably just take this one off and, and just go rest in the locker room, like take a nap in the locker room. And so I didn't go to the. This was like the first week, so I didn't go to a workout, and. The strength coach came in there and was like, "What are you doing, screaming?" And I'm like, "Man, it's, it's voluntary." You said, "You know," so I, I'm I'm trying to try to catch up. And so, you, you know, you you've been you was ostracized at first because it's like, "Oh, wow. so now from that point on, I, everything else voluntary." I, I just went like, you know, because I, I knew like, dang, if it was voluntary, it didn't mean voluntary. And, and even our coach joked on, um, this was the first week of, like cause in Louisiana we start early. Uh, you know, we start in August. So so we're in school for about a good two and a half weeks before Labor Day. And so here's our chance to get a break because, you know, Labor Day is going to be a holiday. And Coach will get, get everybody up. It was like, you know, guys, you know, we got Labor Day coming up, but, you know, and you got all from school. But guess what Labor means? Work. So we're going to have practice yeah. that day. I'm like, hey, you got to be kidding. So I just automatically assume anything that was football related, you have to go. There was no if ands, or buts about it. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I, I think it's just, you know, with guys that are now veterans, for them to take a, you know, a voluntary weekend off, to your point, I, I guess the assumption is that it ain't voluntary, but it's it's what was negotiated in the CBA, so I, I'm not going to hammer those guys for missing it. Now, second, uh, second rapid-fire thing, uh, the Raiders and this scouting situation, sending the scouts home, they're worried about leaks in the building. It sort of does make sense to me, um, and I think you'll probably see a story the day after the draft is over that the Raiders have released some scouts um, from their services, uh, pink slipped them. Uh, but I don't think it's terribly unusual based on the other things that I've read, but it does it does give you some sense that there's still some holdovers from the Reggie McKenzie era that probably are going to be out of a job soon. Yeah, this seems like it's par for the course for scouts. You always hear about it right after the draft. You know, they'll let the guys set up the board and, you know, grade the guys that they've been working on all year. And then right after that, they go ahead on and, um, you know, make the make the moves and, and bring in their own guys. And, this, you know, it's understandable it's par for the course. But I think people are making a big deal of it now because of who it is and who's doing the, the cuts and, and changes. So, the, the to me, it's much to do about nothing because we've seen this happen year in, year out. It's just that it's because it's the Raiders, it's because it's John Gruden, it's because it's a new GM yeah. like me, that everyone is going to make a big deal out of it. But really, it's something that happens at this time each and every year. So, uh, Emery, thanks for coming on. And uh, sticking with the Raiders, uh, 
you know, Mike and I were just uh, talking about uh, Derek Carr. Uh, what, what's your gut feeling about what the Raiders are going to do in terms of uh, you know, addressing the quarterback position in this draft? I mean, do you think that uh, Derek Carr's uh, days are numbered? <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, who, who do you think that the, uh, the Raiders might target in this draft if they are looking for their quarterback of the future? you think they might maybe, uh, you know, address that in this draft? You know, I, I think I don't I don't think Derek Carr is that big of an issue for the Raiders to be honest. And I think when you know when people talk about you know the Raiders probably taking a quarterback with one of their three picks or even in day two, when was the last time we saw John Gruden operate with a rookie quarterback or have the patience to deal with the young rookie quarterback? Every quarterback he had at, in Tampa and in Oakland was an older veteran, and even when he got a young guy in Chris Sims, he hammered him so hard he was yanking him every other game every other series uh, to go to a veteran so I don't think Gruden doesn't even have the patience for a rookie quarterback uh you know so I think if anything he's probably gonna if, if he's gonna move car it's gonna be for an older veteran so um I, I just think that that probably is the biggest smoke screen of the the most identifiable smoke screen of the whole draft process if people putting a quarterback with the Raiders without really addressing that John Gruden pretty much hates the rookie quarterback. It's <laughs> a good point. I do think this gives him a cushion year where Carr could be on the team for this year and he could take a guy for, you know, he could take a Daniel Jones or a Drew Locke if they fall uh, a little bit later down to him with one of those uh, top 35 picks. But, um, you know, a guy we've talked about a whole bunch, <clears throat> and again, this is Emery Hunt. You can f- find him on Twitter at F-Ball Game Plan. You'll see him live on air with me next Thursday. Uh, for our coverage of the first round of the NFL draft, along with Dane Martinez, uh, our man spitting speed. So Ed Oliver was a guy we've talked about through the draft, and Emery, you and I probably talked about it on here two months ago. We thought that teams would come to their senses, and it seems like mock drafts are finally moving him into that top ten, even all the way up to the Jets at number three. Um, do you think he's worthy of a top three pick? I think so, and I made this point uh, on a show I was on yesterday evening, you know, because uh, they asked the question whether or not you would go interior pass rusher or interior D lineman or out, you know, exterior, you know, edge rusher. I'm thinking, well, you know, the closer you are to the ball, the more impact you have on a game. And that's guard, center guard, D tackle, Mike Backer, quarterback, running back. So with that being a backdrop, you look at Ed Oliver, you look at Quentin Williams. Those two guys, and we've seen how disruptive when he was at his best prior to the injury, how disruptive Geno Atkins was of the Bengals, and now how disruptive a guy like Aaron Donald can be uh, on your defense. When you have someone that's that explosive off the ball like Ed Oliver that's so quick to get into the backfield and, and, and so versatile, it really throws off not only your blocking assignments, your protections, but also your, your rushing, rushing block, your run blocking assignments as well. So one of the worst things a quarterback can face is quick interior pressure. And it's also one of the worst things a running back can see, too, when you see a, your your guard get whipped pretty quickly by a defensive tackle and he's in the backfield. If it's an edge rush guy, you know you have an ability to you know at least make him miss because of where you are on the field and where he is and how you know the how far he has to get to you. Well, even if it's only like a yard and a half, you know that's enough room to make that guy miss. But a defensive tackle that gets into the backfield quickly throws off everything. So I can understand if a team like Arizona maybe took Quinn and Williams or Ed Oliver 
over a guy like Nick Bosa or Sean Gary or Josh Allen because of what we're seeing now uh, more so in the NFL with, with those defensive tackles. Even go, going back a few years with Warren Sapp, that's what made him special, how quickly he can get into the backfield. And you don't have to be quick. You can be strong and brute force like an Indomitian suit. Those guys, if you're able to you know, exploit the interior defense quickly, uh, with, whether it's with strength or, or speed, you're going to be highly valuable in the NFL. So, Emery, uh, the, the the first round, plenty of great defensive players. If teams are looking to uh, upgrade at their offensive line, plenty of players that they could they could focus on. Uh, turn our attention to to running backs. Um, uh, who do you think? What what teams do you think has the the most need for one? Is it going to be uh, the Bills? Do you think the Jags uh, look to to maybe move on from Leonard Fournette? Uh, you know they. They, they look to see what, what's been going on with him. And, and I, I know based on previous appearances, you, you, you like Daryl Henderson, if I'm not mistaken. And Josh Jacobs, probably one of the first running backs to go off, uh, you know, be drafted. Any other guys that we should be looking for? Dexter Williams is another one out of Notre Dame. I, I don't think a lot of people are, are talking enough about him I like because him. of what mm-hmm. the table. He has the same elements of a Daryl Henderson, the explosive element to hit the home run. And, and, you know, you look at a couple of teams that could fit that mode. Houston could use a tailback, a starting tailback. Um, Lamar Miller is a good player, but Lamar Miller sometimes can go non-existent in, in, within a game um, and also mm-hmm. has those nagging injury, injury issues. So I would say Houston could be in a market for one. Um, you, you mentioned Jacksonville. I think they're in a market for RB2, which could probably be uh, Taylor May for a guy like Dexter Williams or even a Josh Jacobs, to be honest. You know, I, I think Jacobs would be best in a tandem role as opposed to being a lead dog. Uh, you could also make a case for Detroit. I know they drafted a guy last year, but to me, you know, once you he was he had injury concerns in college and he missed some time as a rookie uh, with injury. So I would say Detroit could be in the market for one as, as well. Uh, Buffalo is a good option because they, they have two veteran guys on the you know on the downside of their career, although they're really good backs and future Hall of Famers, they're they're thirty plus. So I think mm-hmm. Buffalo could be in the market uh, as well. So those are some teams I think right off the top of my head that can be in the market for t- uh, tailbacks pretty early, including the Philadelphia Eagles. So a couple of guys that I'm sure we'll talk about on Thursday, but may not get drafted on Thursday in that first round that I wanted to talk about. I'm just curious if you think that these guys will creep into the first round. I'm just going to talk throw out a couple of offensive players here. Irv Smith, tight end from Bama. Nikhil Harry. Uh, Miles Sanders. Paris Campbell. Um, I'll give you one more. Uh, Jay Sternberger. Those types of guys. Any of those guys first rounders to you? I think the two receivers in, in Campbell and Harry could potentially be first rounders. I think they're first rounders. If I had a need for a receiver, uh, I would take Harris Campbell and also kill Harry in, in round one. I think Baltimore would be a good spot for either one of those guys. If you look at Kansas yeah. City, maybe they don't go receiver early. Um, but you know, in, sec- in the second round, I think the good receiver and, and a guy like Harris Campbell in that offense would be ideal. Um, you also look at Indianapolis could be a spot for a receiver. Uh, Houston could totally. be a spot for a receiver uh, because of Will Fuller's injury history. So mm-hmm. there are some teams in there that could be in you know could be ideal landing spots. Buffalo 
uh, could be a spot for a, a playmaker receiver if they trade down, if they don't want to take a receiver that high. The Raiders uh, could be an option. So I think you may see the two receivers going round one. And I like that you brought up Jay Sternberger because, to me, if you're looking for a guy that, that, that fits today's NFL as far as a route runner and what he can do after the catch, he's kind of like Noah Fant in that regard. And we know how guys are infatuated with the, with the tight end position that can also serve as a pseudo receiver. So it, it all depends on where, how high Fant and Hawkinson go if they both go in round one because that may start the run on the tight end position, which could also drag up Irv Smith like you mentioned, and also Jay Sternberger. So you got Sternberger, real quick, Joe, sorry to interrupt. Uh, Go ahead. Sternberger and and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside are two guys that seem like they're just going to fall into round two and feel like you'd almost be better waiting for one of those guys than maybe taking somebody like D.K. Metcalf, who's obviously really impressive physically but didn't produce. And Arcega-Whiteside... Is like the Chris Carter of college football. All he does is catch touchdowns. Like productive guys like that may be much better value in round two than reaching and getting somebody in round one. Well, that's why if you're a team like Baltimore that has a serious deficiency at the receiver position and you want to help build around your young franchise quarterback, Lamar Jackson, you probably want to find a way to trade back into round two because they don't have a second-round pick. They have a third-round pick and a first and try to get – a guy like a J.J. Arcega-Whiteside in round two, the couple with a guy you just chose in round one, whether that's D.J. Metcalf or uh, Nikhil Harry. You get those two guys along with what they did last year with the tight end position, and now your offense is, is ready to go You know, on the perimeter, on the interior, and we know what they have in the backfield with Mark Ingram. And if they're able to add a complimentary back with some speed to Mark Ingram, I think that right there could also be a recipe for success and have their offense rival with the Browns have put together on paper this offseason. So uh, Dolphins need to fill, obviously, a lot of holes on their team. Put yourself in in, the, in their place. I mean, what do you do with this uh, 13th pick? Do you, do you trade it so that you just accumulate as many picks as possible? Uh, and if so, like, what what do you focus on? Like, is it defense that you, you build this, t- this team around? Or, I mean, it's a fairly weak uh, quarterback class. What do you do here? If I'm Brian Flores and I just watched one of my closest friends and Steve Wilkes get fired in one season hmm. – because of inadequate quarterback play and people talk about, oh, well, the Dolphins can tank for Tua. I'm not going into the season with Ryan Fitzpatrick against my quarterback because I just seen my friend get fired after one year of being, you know, a, a bad team because his quarterback wasn't adequate despite having Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, David Johnson, all these good players around him. They say they didn't have weapons. So I would be hard-pressed to see them not take a quarterback at 13. I don't care what people believe about Ryan Fitzpatrick and how much they love his press conferences and how open and honest he is about being overweight and eating cake and not working out in the offseason. If that was any other quarterback, he would be up in arms. Imagine if Cam Newton had that same uh, issue or imagine if any other quarterback had Agree. you know, agreed to be like, oh, yeah, I'm just chilling. I'm cake. So I think that's a spot where we may see a quarterback like Drew Locke get taken off the board, or if the Giants do the dumb thing and don't take Dwayne Haskins at six, that's the spot where I believe Haskins can go because I would be hard-pressed to see them go into a season with a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, knowing a guy that just got fired in, in his first year with the rookie quarterback that they took in the first round. 
Agreed. I just think they need so many players. I, I could see them trading back for multiple picks and taking QB and somebody else, maybe getting two, getting a couple of first round picks. Uh, uh, all right, we're going to break, but I'm going to give you five seconds to name one guy that we haven't talked about at all for these last two months that you love. Jerry Tillery out of Notre Dame, defensive tap. Ah, I think love he's it. Out. Love it. <laughs> Great job. All right, Emery. I'm going to see you in a few days, buddy. We'll talk uh, off air in these next couple of days. So that's Emery Hunt, F-Ball Game Plan. We'll see, you'll see him soon on Thursday night, and we'll be right back. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. On FNTSY. Good stuff from Emery, right? You said. Always. Consummate <laughs> pro. He's Always the owner of Football it. Game Plan. You can find him on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. So that's Emery Hunt. We'll, uh, we'll get that interview out for those of you that want to listen to some of his breakdown and some of those players. So, you know, we spend so much time talking about the first round. I, I like to get into the deeper rounds and some of the guys that. You know, maybe we don't get a chance to talk about, but people are infatuated with the first round. But really, those second and third and fourth rounds end up being really important, too. Obviously, you can churn out some of the end of those drafts year over year. But, um, you know, talking about guys like J.J. Arcega Whiteside, I think, is that type of player where, first of all, he ran under a 4-5, so he isn't slow. He didn't run a 4-3-1, but... We see, we see this every year. Like, people get infatuated with the guy that ran the fastest, but he's not the best player. He very rarely is the best player. So, um, Paris Campbell has incredible speed and seems like he'll be productive. And Andy and Isabella has incredible speed and is not a first-round pick, but is a guy that just fits the NFL very nicely now. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside could be that solid possession receiver and a guy that wins one-on-one battles for a long period of time. Right, Emery right. kept bringing Emery kept bringing up the Ravens. They are a team in desperate need of an option on the outside, and somebody like mm-hmm. Osega Whiteside in the second round could solve that for them. Yeah, and uh, that's one of his strong points is uh, winning contested balls, right? And that's uh, yeah. you know, uh, and, and and like he's mentioned, the uh, Ravens need to uh, build around Lamar Jackson. Got to get him some uh, some targets. And uh, you mentioned Paris Campbell with the speed. Uh, just from what I've read, he just needs to work on his, uh, his route running skills a little bit uh, more. But uh, you know, yeah. can't always go with the speedy guys, right? Remember John Ross. <laughs> Yeah, agreed. I mean, I thought John Ross was mm-hmm. a terrible pick the second that they did it. You don't take an mm-hmm. oft-injured guy uh, with a number nine pick when the roster was clearly in mu- had much bigger needs than that. They didn't need mm-hmm. a guy opposite A.J. Green to fix the team. The team was falling apart around them. Their offensive line was awful. They are aging defensively, mm-hmm. and there were many other needs that they had that taking John Ross and ended up being a complete bust. It's sad that he's injured as much as he is, but... The, you know, 
it's just it, it isn't what they needed at the time. So, you know, they're going into this season with Willie Sneed, Jordan Lastly, Chris Moore, Quincy Adebayo. Uh, that's it right now. Uh, they're obviously going to try to win by running the ball. <coughs> they have a very talented offensive line. Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown at tackle. Marshall Yemeta uh, at guard. Alex Lewis at guard. <clears throat> Lamar Jackson ran the ball too much. They can't have him doing that. They added Mark Ingram along with Gus Edwards, Kenny Dixon there. They ran the ball more than any other team in the league, particularly in the back half of the year, but it wasn't that effective. <clears throat> they won a bunch of games, yes, but it wasn't transformative enough in, able, in, in order for them to get a playoff win. We should see some natural progression out of Lamar Jackson, mm-hmm. but they're going to have to figure out a way to be at least somewhat of a dual-threat offense. Um, even though they they probably will run the ball more than every other team this year, but they can't go into the season with those receiving options. It's just they added Seth Roberts as like a, a back of the roster mm-hmm. wide receiver, but they're going to have to address it. Doesn't have to be the first round, but at some point they're going to have to do it. Yep, yeah, they have other things to address too. They uh, they lost. They got to make up. Uh, the, uh, the sacks that they lost with Terrell uh, Suggs and uh, Zadarius Smith. I mean, CJ Mosley. Yeah, CJ Mosley as well. But you're right. I mean, uh, uh, maybe it's a tight end in, in the in the second round. Like, uh, uh, would make sense for them too. Like a pass catching uh, tight end who could also block, since they're going to be running the ball a lot. Uh, possible. I think it would be later <laughs> though, because they spent some draft mm-hmm. capital. They spent some draft capital on tight end last year early in the draft. So I, I think I think that probably won't be the way they'll go. I think it could be receiver, mm-hmm. but again, we just listed off a few guys that they lost. Um, you know, Eric Weddle and Zadarius Smith and CJ Mosley and Terrell Suggs were all on the team last year. I, I thought the Ravens mm-hmm. were going to be worse last year because the defense was getting old. They have to get the defense younger and they obviously have turned it over now. Is it talented enough now? Remains to be seen. They did add Earl Thomas now, that's not youth, but that's talent. Mm-hmm. Can he avoid the injury bug this year? He hasn't the last two seasons. They've got Marlon Humphrey there, Brandon Carr, Matt Juden, Tim Williams should get some more snaps there defensively. So I, I think they're pretty good. There's just There are some holes there. Uh, they need a, maybe a top-flight young defensive talent and then a receiver as well. Offensive line, running game should be pretty good, though. Uh, but... Are they going to be loaded up? Is the box going to be loaded up? Daring teams to have Lamar Jackson throw it. That remains to be seen. So, um, all right. So, how, how are you feeling now as a Giants fan? Where do you think that they're at right now? Do you think they're at quarterback? Gettleman had some comments. Yeah, he's which, not going to force it. <laughs> yeah. Saying we're not going to pick for need. We have to take the mm-hmm. best player available. And honestly, that's just. That's just nonsense talk because you could say the exact opposite and people would be like, yeah, I like it. Yeah, we should draft for need. You know what I mean? If he came out there and said, mm-hmm. we have to draft for the needs of this football team, um, even if it means passing on a slightly better player, some people would be like, well, that's dumb. And others would be like, yeah, I like it. We have holes at, um, you know, we have holes uh, on the defensive line now and we, we – you know, we need better linebackers, so we should go for that. People would be okay with it. So saying something mm-hmm. like that, right, it's right. just placating. It's just 
you know, whatever. That's fluff. It almost sounds Let's like you it. don't know what you're doing. It, the, the, like you don't have a plan. Like it almost sounds like, hey, they don't you know, have a plan. Whatever falls to, right, right. Well, they've shown that, right? But it almost sounds like you know, whatever, whatever falls to us, uh, you know, then we'll make a decision. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm seeing Chad uh, Reuter, but, but hopefully Chad Reuter, NFL draft analyst, now has he 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 got crazy in this first round. He did a bunch of trades. He has the Giants taking Daniel Jones at five. Wow, uh, that would it, be crazy. That seems a little yeah, seems a little early. No, what do you think? <laughs> it does seem early. I mean, I could see I could see them eventually ending up with him. You know, we talked about the yes. uh, the Manning. Uh, you know, but uh, at pick number five, I think maybe you you're probably better off going uh, after uh, somebody that could rush quarterback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think the Giants. I mean, they lost the Olivier. Move. Yeah. I think the Giants. Oh, you think could be they're going to trade? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think they could be. So yeah, he actually has the Giants trading up to five mm-hmm. with the Buccaneers to take him. He actually has the Jets in this draft. This is Chad Reuters. He did a seven-round draft, so he went really crazy. He's Kyler Murray number one. He has the Raiders trading up with the 49ers to take Drew Locke at QB. Then he has the Jets getting Nick wow. Bosa. If the Jets stay there and get Nick Bosa, wow. Would that be a mm-hmm. home run? I don't think that's happening. I think I think if the Niners don't take Bosa, somebody else is going to take him there. I don't think the Raiders would trade up to grab Drew Locke like that. I think that would be a panic move. Sort of like what the Bears did with Trubisky, but you know, the Bears made themselves a playoff team with Mitch Trubisky and a couple of other moves, obviously. But And I love Emery's uh, point, too, about uh, Gruden uh, not really – traditionally loving, uh, you know, rookie quarterbacks. I mean, I guess you could, you know, you could have a, a rookie quarterback, uh, you know, on the team and, and, and keep Derek Carr temper, you know. To, yeah, I think Emery and I disagree it, slightly on it. I think he makes a really yeah, okay. good point that that mm-hmm. that Gruden does like to work with veterans. And I think he gets very mm-hmm. frustrated with rookies. But I've set up the scenario that Carr would be the quarterback this year. And then he can mm-hmm. work with a guy that he and Mayock like. They just uh, – they don't have to get rid of Carr. I'm just not in love with Carr, and I think they want to make a change as they go to Vegas. I think it just it sort of makes sense historically. It doesn't mean they have to get rid of him. He's locked up for years, and honestly, if he plays well this year, they don't have to get rid of him because then he's just at a standard salary uh, for quarterbacks. And, you know, he's he's dropping – year over year with where he's ranked. Right now, he's still in the top seven or so of QB salaries. By next year, he'll be outside the top ten. You know, it's it's the way mm-hmm. these quarterback contracts work. It's just right now, Russell Wilson's the highest paid. And by next offseason, he won't be. And then he'll keep moving down. Right, right. He'll move all the way down. You know, by the time he was like the 17th highest paid quarterback before he got this deal. When he signed his original deal, this previous deal, he was second. <laughs> behind only Aaron Rodgers. So he moved all the way down the list because guys kept getting paid and Matt Stafford and Matt Ryan and all these guys keep getting contracts and you move down. It's just, you know, the saying that he's the highest paid quarterback in history. Like, okay, for another six weeks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, until Andrew Luck gets right, right. another extension. That's quick. So, Excellent point. So, yeah. so, uh, so that's where we're at. So other other draft stuff, you know, I, you start looking at some of those guys that are a little bit, Further down the list, and names that you hear, um, 
uh, I'm just going to pick some guys out of, out of a hat here uh, because we can talk about basically anybody. But from an offensive standpoint, I think the Irv Smith thing that we touched on in the previous segment is interesting because these two Iowa tight ends uh, do have – I'm I, it seems to me like Hawkinson is definitely going to be the first one picked um, and that Fant or Smith could be second. Fant is really more of a receiver. He's not so much the dual threat guy, but mm-hmm. a receiving tight end is extremely valuable in today's NFL. Yeah, and you know what all week I thought of? I thought of when uh, Emery told us last week, you know, when's the last time that uh, you, you felt that a team was just one tight end away from, you know, you know, taking that next step forward. But at the same yeah. point, uh, you know, you bring up some some great points in terms of uh, I think Hawkinson is probably the closest to an all around, you know, uh, tight end in terms of being able to catch the ball and blocking ability. And, uh, you, you know, Fant, I think, like you mentioned, more of he needs to work on his uh, improve his blocking skills. But Irv Smith, uh, you know, reading up on him, I mean, uh, you know, Seven touchdowns uh, last year, 44 catches. Mixed grades when it comes to his blocking skills, but it seems like he has upside where they, they can improve. And just traditionally, it just seems that uh, it takes a, a tight end uh, a year or two to adjust the plane in the NFL. So, but Alabama Irvin scores is, a million def- touchdowns too, Joe. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah of yeah. course he's going to get seven touchdowns. He's the starting right, right, tight end right. on the best team and the second best <laughs> team in the country. The team that mm-hmm. blew everybody mm-hmm. out until <laughs> they started playing really good teams. And they lost. Right, right. <clears throat> they nearly lost to Georgia, and then they lost to Clemson. So, uh, yeah, he better have seven touchdowns if he's on Alabama. So, <laughs> I think what's going to be funny about this first round draft, the first round of the draft the other night, is it isn't going to explode with fantasy talent, I don't think. Right. Because you're going to have the draft is going to be at least 50% defense. So for those of you that play in IDP leagues, you know, you're going to want to see where Josh Allen and Nick Bosa is going. Nick Bosa is going to be the guy that you're going to want. He's going to be productive because he's going to be able to acquire tackles and sacks. As far as the linebackers are concerned, it seems consensus that there's going to be um, two, two traditional linebackers in Devin White and Devin Bush. That'll be three down linebackers. You'll have other guys that may be slotted in at linebacker in your various IDP leagues, like a Brian Burns, who's more of an edge rusher. That gets difficult. The IDP dynasty league that I play in, those pass-rushing linebackers have value only if they're elite, like one of the top guys, like a Von Miller um, Mm -hmm. or, or Jadavian Clowney. Like Jadavian Clowney is a linebacker in our IDP league, even though he really plays defensive end. You know, it's just they the, the my fantasy league takes a look at, I think it's according to Pro Football Focus, how guys line up, what position they technically line up in, and then they grade them accordingly. So there are times where players move positions from year over year based on how many snaps they took at what position. Like Aaron Donald, I think, got moved out of the defensive tackle to defensive end because he took more snaps in a certain position. So I'm getting into that to say from a fantasy standpoint, your your linebackers on defensively are going to be Bush and White. There may be some guys like Quinn and Williams, which are valuable. Yeah, I was going to. Uh, but, yeah. as a, but as a defensive tackle, depending on the league that you're in, 
he may not be rife with points. It, it just may not be the case. Um, safeties like Jonathan Abram from Mississippi State, that could be a first-rounder. There are a lot of second-round safeties that are coming that uh, will get drafted, most likely. But, again, that's a position that usually has a wealth of uh, options. It's in my league. It's a 45-man roster league, and safety is really the only position that you can kind of pick at the waiver wire on. So um, Mm -hmm. my long diatribe means that you may not see a lot of impactful offensive players in 2019 that will be drafted in the first round on Thursday night. Yeah, you got uh, what the maybe there might not be any running backs. What do you, what, what, yeah, uh, what do you think? It maybe like the, the three or four uh, quarterbacks, and and you're right. I mean, you, you might wait to the second round uh, for uh, to see some running backs, and then late yeah. first round is when you're going to start to see the wide receivers go. Right? It seems. Yeah, I think so. And DK Metcalf could go a little bit early. Uh, you got guys like Marquise Brown coming off an injury. AJ Brown. Uh, DK Metcalf. Uh, Are you getting I the feeling that Metcalf is a little overrated? <laughs> that you know, we just looked at his you know Superman body and and, and you know, yeah. I, I'm not calling he him wasn't a bust, productive. but I mean, yeah, he wasn't productive. Uh, didn't do too well at the combine as well. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I asked Joe Lisi. He was great at the combine. Metcalf was, but his his production wasn't great. He only played seven games his last year at Ole Miss. Wasn't there one catches? specific thing that he didn't do well at, uh, like running the cones or something like that? Like the, the agility the thought part? Process, well, the thought process for, from him as a player is that mm-hmm. one-on-one straight line routes, mm-hmm. he'll beat everybody. But okay. you start to wonder if he can run every route and if he can be productive at the next level. Because he wasn't productive right. at Ole Miss. 28 catches, mm-hmm. 26 catches, followed up by 39 catches a year before. The defense was terrible. They weren't on the field enough. He had other players to contend with, like A.J. Brown, who's also a first-round pick. So he had some challenges there. But why not rise above if you're so physically talented? We're going to come back. Right. We'll talk right. a little bit more NFL, and then we'll do MLB as well in hour number three. It's Mike and Joe. We'll be right back. Whoa! 